This is the First Presbyterian Church of Irvington podcast. Here at FPC Irvington, we believe the whole church is taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Wherever you hear this message from today, we pray that you are blessed by our ministry and message. Thank God for the beautiful song. And I want you please to bow your heads in prayer. Father, as we come to the place of your word, as it will be expounded, lead us to every truth. Give us an idea, Lord, concerning that which is playing out in eternity. And forbid, Lord, that we would go into the place of experiencing the wrath of God. But that the mercy of God will prevail for us while we are alive to make important decisions and to live enjoying your mercies and your love. As I pray this message that is difficult to preach, give me grace, mighty God, to speak the truth. But to speak that truth, mighty God, depending on you, to bring souls to your kingdom, because your love abounds for everyone. Glory and honor are always yours in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As beautiful as the song was, rock of my, rock my soul, rock of my soul in the bosom of Abraham. That song is rendered in, that, in those dimensions. I want to bring forth, unfortunately, contrast to that song that looked interesting and joyful. And today I'll be speaking on the concept of hell. And that will be the fifth part of the message, the realities of eternity. So today I will do a teaching on the realities of eternity. And that will be the fifth part of the message. The sub-theme today will be hell. Like I made a few introductory comments, the message I bring today is not a message of joy. And as beautiful as that song was, that ushered us into the moment of the teaching, unfortunately, we will not be smiling in the spirit of that song. That song, however, speaks to a part of this teaching, but in the sense of the comfort that will come to the people of God. Walk in righteousness, who enjoy the love of God, and who have responded to the free gift of God through the channel of repentance and the experience of forgiveness, they will come to the place of rejoicing in the end. But that is a message for another day. In the gospel, according to Luke chapter 16, the Bible lays an account about Lazarus and the rich man. In some biblical renditions, in the Gospels, that man's name is called Dives, or Dives, however it is pronounced. It all depends. But it's about a rich man who lived at a certain time, as Jesus told the story. Both the rich man and the poor man Lazarus, who had sores and was living in degradation, all of them experienced death and came to the place in the afterlife beyond this world. 
to an experience of eternity. What I want to draw quickly from that passage is first of all that the notion that heaven or the bosoms of Abraham or paradise is for the poor is completely unbiblical. The rich by their riches are not consigned to hell or destruction. Neither are the poor because of their poverty candidates of heaven automatically. What the Bible portrays in that story is the fact that there is an afterlife after this world. That afterlife is called eternity. The Bible also brings a second point of focus, the sense of a judgment that will come. A time of separation, a time of accountability. That all of humankind will respond to God concerning what they made use of their lives for in this, in this planet Earth. And thirdly, the fact that in the place of torment, there will be no comfort. And there will be no cry that will change the status of the one experiencing the discomfort or the troubles or the sorrows or the pains of judgment. And fourthly, it is that it is in this life that men will decide what will happen to them in eternity. And that there will be no means of persuasion to convince people otherwise, except they can respond by the factor of faith onto the preaching of the servants of God that God has sent to them. One of whom I am today. One of whom is the Reverend Kennedy. One of whom are the various servants of God preaching and declaring the word of God in various spaces. Let us today focus on the teaching, which is the teaching on hell. And for that teaching particularly, having drawn that contrast and tried to explicate the misconceptions that exist, I want to focus now to narrow to the concept of hell. And that I will do reflecting on what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 14, this is 8 to 11 which was the second reading, the first reading, sorry, that we did today. Revelation 14, verses 8 to 11. And drawing from that passage, the concept of hell, I wish to point out, is associated with the concepts of God's justice in terms of the expression of God's wrath on the unrepentant sinner. Last Sunday, I taught on the concept of the justice of God. And the summary of it was that God holds himself to a standard on the basis of his holiness, on the basis of his righteousness, on the basis of his justice. And that justice of God will never be compromised. That justice of God warranted God to send his son Jesus to die in the place of the sinner to satisfy the wrath of God. To take upon himself the justice of God. That those that will benefit from that justice will just need to come to the place of repentance and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And on the basis of that decision, they will be excluded from the wrath of God. Still on the basis of the justice of God, 
The sermon today, the teaching today on hell is premise. Hell is simply the expression of God's indignation or the wrath of God. Is God vengeful? Has God made provisions of hell to retaliate against the sinner? Is God an angry God? God is not vengeful. God is not an angry God. Against what Jonathan Edwards titled the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. God is not just an angry God. God is not engaging in retaliation. God is not wicked in creating hell. Hell is not God's choice for anybody. Anybody that will go to hell will be on the basis of his choice. And that choice is on the basis of the rejection of Jesus and the refusal to repent from his or her sin. Hell will then become inevitable. But the provision of hell is in agreement with the nature of God as the God of justice. And being a good God, he wants to warn humankind like he warned the nation of Israel. See, I lay before you life and death. Choose life that it may go well with you. The idea that God holds a cup of wrath as it is shown in Revelation chapter 14, from verse 18 to 11, which he makes known under judgment, makes available to those that are under judgment to drink, is expressed not less than 13 times in the Bible. The importance of counting the recurrence of a concept in scripture is to point out its significance. To show that this is not just a wish away. This is what is firmly established. Because the Bible says a case is established where there are two or three witnesses. Biblical evidence, therefore, points very strongly the direction of the existence of God's judgment that will surely come. His cup of wrath. Psalm 75 verse 8 Jeremiah 25 verse 15 are examples that are displayed in scripture to point this out to humankind. For the enemies of God, the cup is forced upon them. It is inevitable. The Bible speaks about the wine of the wrath of God, the cup of his indignation. What does this mean? The wine in the cup is associated with wrath, which describes a passionate anger. It is a passionate anger. The cup itself is associated with indignation, which is anger from a settled disposition. But the nature of God himself I did teach last Sunday that he is a God of justice. He has established a standard for himself. And that standard has made provision that there will be a proceeding of the rod of God. That rod of God is rendered in scripture as indignation, 
An indignation means a settled disposition. There will be no pity, there will be no mercy, there will be nothing that will change it. It is a settled matter. Usually in scripture, God's anger towards sinner does not flash against them. It does not just come momentarily. It does not just come in passing. It is simply his settled opposition against sin and unrighteousness. Why? Because he's a God that is holy. He's a God that is righteous. And he's a God that is just. But unlike the rendition of the wrath of God, or the anger of God in scripture, in the book of Revelation, the Bible describes clearly that God's ultimate judgment. The term for passionate anger is used much more often. So this is not just God being angry about something that is wrong in a temporal basis. In Revelation, the indignation of God is pointed to something stronger, greater, something more dangerous, something that is permanent. It is called passionate anger. Please go with me, let's look carefully at the description of hell as is stated in the book of Revelation, which is showing us the things that will come in the future. The Bible says it shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. This surely is not a pleasant account. And I am most unexcited teaching on this subject today. This passage teaches several important truths, friends, about hell and the eternal destiny of the damned or the unrepentant sinner. First of all, the Bible says the sinner, the reflection of the sinner in the sense of one that has taken the mark of the beast. Who worships the beast day and night or continually as it is rendered in the present and the present continuous tense. It's about a sinner who continues to sin and does not intend to repent. He is sinning and sinning and continues until he transitions from this world at the experience of death. The Bible says he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. This shows that the suffering of hell is real torment. It shows that it is painful and repulsive. A scholar has pointed out, called L. Morris, he says, the modern work for dispensing with hell has no counterpart in Revelation. What Morris is simply arguing is that today in our world, and this has endured for a time, People are arguing that God is too good and gracious to be a God that can create a thing that is called hellfire for the sin. Hell 
It's not just an idea that is a mirage. It is what the Bible speaks to be true. And the torment in that experience is unbearable. We use expressions like it is as hot as hell. When the weather is uncomfortable, when it is hot, whether in temperate regions or during summer times in the Western world. Friends, not even your oven, not even the place where cremation is done is as hot as hell. Yeah. Out of something that has never been experienced by humankind before. There are arguments regarding various words. Rendered in Revelation. The Bible speaks of a place of real torment, a place that is painful, a place that is repulsive, a place that there is no counterpart, there is no comparison. It is that which is going to be real. Number two, hell, as is often wrongly and erroneously believed, is a place that God is absent. The Bible says it's going to be in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. There is no place that the presence of God does not permit. It shows that God is not absent from hell. He is present in hell. Or how is he present in hell? God is present in hell in his holiness and in his righteousness. Those who are in hell or will be in hell will wish that God were absent. But he will not be. It is wrong, therefore, to say that hell will be devoid of the presence of God. But it will be without any sense of his love. The presence of God will not mean the love of God to be present. That presence will not be in the sense of the mercy of God. It will be in the sense of the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. The presence of Jesus will be in hell, but only the presence of his holy justice and his wrath against sin. Number three, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Friends, those who will be under the wrath of God and the indignation of God will endure it for eternity. That is why this teaching is about the realities of eternity. Here, the fact of eternal torment is plainly and clearly stated. It is rendered as forever and ever, which means forever and ever. If the only consequences of sin are in this life, friends, or if the only penalty for sin is temporary, then the sinner will be clever. Clever sinners, for that matter, would have won over God. The phrase forever and ever literally means into the ages of ages. It is, friends, the strongest expression of eternity of which the Greek is capable of rendering it. The ages of ages. I was passing by in a particular space. 
I can't remember the exact place it was. But the people were having a conversation, young people. Perhaps a preacher man had just preached, or a young preacher had just preached by, and mentioned the concept of hell. And they began to laugh. They said, oh, we are going to do all kinds of evil in this world in such a manner that God will be so angry that when he's casting us into hell, he will throw us with such a force that he will throw us beyond hell and will not fall into hell. I listened to that conversation and my heart was troubled. My heart was troubled because these were young people speaking on the basis of ignorance. And as I was going through this teaching in preparation, that conversation struck my heart again. The truth of the matter is that hell is not something any of us should joke about. It is the greatest and the worst expression of the wrath of God. No human being has ever tasted what hell looks like in real life. That torment is going to be extreme. It will be beyond what any human being can comprehend. But that is on the basis of the choices we are going to make in this world. According to Trap, God wishes that men, men and women, will everywhere think and talk more of hell, not ridiculing it or joking about it. But in terms of that eternity of extremity, that they shall never else be able to avoid or to abide. Surely one good means to escape hell is to take a turn or two in hell by our daily meditations about what that is going to look like. Friends, there will be a time that repentance will be too late and therefore impossible. That will be when the love of God for the sinner will see. And the holy wrath of God will set in relentlessly for eternity. That will be hell for the sinner. I have an important question to ask you, beloved friend. Right now, have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? On the basis of, first of all, acknowledging that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself, none of your righteous deeds will satisfy the justice of God. Friend, have you come to terms with the fact that God has provided his son Jesus Christ to take your sins upon himself and that he went to the cross and died on the cross Bearing the wrath of God upon himself on your behalf. Have you pondered on the truth of the revelation of God's word? That the death of Jesus is meant for you to accept the mercy of God by a simple consent and a simple invitation. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. You went to the cross and died for me and took your sins upon my sins upon you. You took the wrath of God upon yourself. You experienced the justice of God on my behalf. And right now, I want to appropriate into my life that which you did for me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
Have mercy upon me. Forgive all my sins. And cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I accept you right now as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. Fill me with your presence. And lead me every day to live for you. Friends, this is the sinner's prayer that ushers him or her onto the place of salvation by way of acknowledgement of your sinful state, by way of recognizing the provision of God for your redemption, by way of confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness, by way of accepting the provision of salvation in Christ Jesus into your personal life, and by way on the fifth degree of a perpetual commitment to live as a child of God all the days of your life, walking by faith and believing that what Jesus has done for you is good enough and will sustain you to the end. And that manifesting in your daily life and your devotion to serving your God all the days of your life as a child of God. Hell is not meant for you. Because you've had the privilege of hearing the gospel. And your heart is not made of stones and idols. Your heart can be pierced by the truth of the word of God. And you can receive Jesus right now as your Lord and Savior. Friend, make this decision. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. Don't take the mercy of God for granted. Hell is real. And you don't want to be a part of that experience. No Christ will change that destiny. No begging will change it. The Bible says the rich man cried out and said, send somebody to go. And the Lord said, it is not possible. He was told it is not possible. The preachers are out there preaching. If they will not listen to them, there will be no other way for them to be convinced to change their minds in repentance and receive forgiveness. I want to pray with you right now. If you have received the mercy of God and you're born again, you're a child of God, I want you to be steadfast. Don't give up. Be strong in the power of his might. Don't give up on your faith. Don't let your faith make a shipwreck. But be steadfast to the end. If you want to receive Jesus into your life right now, oh, it's a joyful time to welcome you to the fold of God's people. And I want to pray with you right now. Can you pray this prayer after me? If you're giving your life to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. I acknowledge my sins before you. Have mercy upon me. Forgive all my sins. And cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Because right down I sincerely repent of them. 
Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into stay. Be my Lord and my Savior all the days of my life. I believe that you died for me. That God has raised you from the dead. And now you're alive forever. You said in your word. That if I confess my sins. I will be forgiven. And if I believe in my heart. That you have been raised from the dead. And confess with my mouth. That you are Lord. I will be saved. I believe right now that I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. All the days of my life. Lord, keep me faithful to the end. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this precious child of God. Who has made this decision right now. Receiving the author of life, Jesus, as his Lord and Savior. I want to thank you for this child of God that has resolved to be faithful to the end. I want to bless you, mighty God, for the provisions of your love and your tender mercies that are to accompany us all the days of our lives. Thank you for the truth of your word revealed to us. And may our love for you be eternal in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. If you have been blessed by our message, we welcome you to partner with us in spreading the word of God. Please visit our website, www.fpcirvington.com, or follow us on our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this. May the peace of Christ be with you.